Welcome to a lecture presented by members of the Syracuse, New York class. My name is Sharon Welch and I'll be your moderator for this class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated and shown proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school is a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in 1958. Since that time, we have established brand schools throughout the United States, Canada, and other certain foreign countries. <clears throat> New York State was established in, uh, sorry, the Syracuse New York class was established in 1969. The dean of the Syracuse New York class is Dr. Patrick Trevison. The president is Dr. Robert Welch. And our vice president is Dr. John Cometti. Now, in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of the Father is Yahweh. It has been mistranslated to read Lord. The true title of the word or son is Elohim. It has been mistranslated to read that. And the true name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been mistranslated to read Jesus. Now, Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul filled with the Holy Spirit states in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and that there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means that is the title that the creator chose, chose for himself. Now, Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia will prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce a sound that is made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our English language until some 1,400 years after the death of Messiah, making such names as Jesus and Jehovah improper renderings of the true name of the Father and his Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit. And in that state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because the cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have that this fiery cloud painted all around the edges of this chart 
to show you that everything on the chart abides within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man cannot perceive of him in that pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself, known as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is the shape and form of a man, <clears throat> but without flesh and blood. That form can only be seen in divine vision and understood in divine revelation. Later on, the self-same spirit manifested himself and walked the earth plane, as known as Yahshua, the Messiah, whom the world erroneously calls Jesus Christ. Now there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question we must ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Messiah at the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of his name and title can be read by reading the preface of a holy name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by a divine pattern. It's called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, showed him this tabernacle pattern in a vision. He instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness. This tabernacle pattern consists of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. We also go about in the school to show proof how that everything in the universe abides within the pure, these threefold tabernacle pattern, and absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. Our school has 10 primary constitutional aims and objectives, and they are as follows. First is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua, the Messiah, without the distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third is to investigate the unexplained spirit law, or so-called law of nature, and the powers latent in man. Fourth is to encourage and promote the study of the scripture, comparative religion, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Fifth is to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth is to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensation and ages. Seventh is to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensation of time. Eighth is to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered of the sons of children of Yahweh. Ninth is to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained there is no other name given among men whereby men can be saved, save in the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And tenth is to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification and the newer state. 
Our watchword is peace, and our slogan is speak the truth. <clears throat> At this time, I'd like to have the class dedicated in prayer by Dr. Kathy Hughes, and that'll be followed by a scripture, which is Ezekiel, the 11th chapter, and that and all scriptures will be read by Dr. Scott Miller and Dr. Dave Frankowski will be our other reader for this class. Dr. Hughes. Let us all bow our hearts and minds to our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, through Yahshua. Yahshua, we thank you for loving us, for coming down from your high and lofty state, loving us enough to make a way for us to know you according to your purpose, pattern, and plan. Thank you so much for enlightening our understanding by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for letting us be one with you by your Holy Spirit. Yahshua, we love you and we serve you and honor, obey, and glorify you. And in your great name, we say hallelujah. 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 Good evening and afternoon, class. Tonight's scripture will be read out of the Holy Name Bible, containing the Holy Name version of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by A.B. Trania of the Scripture Research Association. Ezekiel, the 11th chapter. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me unto the east gate of Yahweh's house, which looketh eastward. And behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men, among whom I saw Jazaniah the son of Azur, and Palatiah the son of Benaniah, princes of the people. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devises mischief, and give wicked counsel in this city, which say the evil is not near. Let us build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we be the flesh. Therefore prophesy against them, prophesy, O son of man. And the Spirit of Yahweh fell upon me, and said unto me, Speak, thus saith Yahweh. Thus have ye said, O house of Israel. For I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Ye have multiplied your slain in the city, and ye have filled the streets thereof with the slain. Therefore thus saith Yahweh. Your slain, whom ye have laid in the midst of it, they are the flesh, and this city is the cauldron. But I will bring you forth out of the midst of it. Ye have fe feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, saith Yahweh. And I will bring you out of the midst thereof, and deliver you into the hands of strangers, and will execute judgments among you. You shall fall by the sword, I will judge you in the border of Israel. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. This city shall not be your cauldron, neither shall you be the flesh in the midst thereof. But I will judge you in the border of Israel. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, for you have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manners of the heathen that are around about you. And it came to pass when I prophesied that Pelatai, the son of Benaniah, died. Then fell I down. Upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Yahweh, wilt thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Again, the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, 
son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel holy, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from Yahweh, unto us is this land given in possession. Therefore say, Thus saith Yahweh, Although I have cast them far off among the nations, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Therefore say, Thus saith Yahweh, I will even gather you from the people, and assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they shall come thither, and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof, and all the abominations thereof from thence. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their Elohim. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith Yahweh. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of Elohim of Israel was over them above. And the glory of Yahweh went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is in the east side of the city. Afterwards, the spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the spirit of Elohim into Chaldea to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up for me. Then I spake unto them of the captivity, all the things that Yahweh had showed me. That's Ezekiel, the 11th chapter. Thank you, Dr. Hughes and Dr. Miller. We'll have a three-speaker format for this class. Each speaker getting approximately 30 to 35 minutes. There will be a five-minute sign uh, that will be on the screen. Uh, Please acknowledge that you have seen the sign. And I also would like to welcome everyone that has joined us in the Zoom room and also those that are viewing us on YouTube. And for our first speaker, we'd like to call on Dr. Frank DeMassey from our Syracuse, New York class. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Not going to be up very long. Uh, let's start with the scripture. Ezekiel 11 and 1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me unto the east gate of Yahweh's house which looketh eastward, and behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men. Among them whom I saw, Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Palathia, the son of Benaniah, princes of the people. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city. Okay, Dave, stop right there. See, the, the beauty of the gift of understanding Yahweh's purpose and how, why the law and the prophets are so important, principles that have occurred then showing 
Yahweh's purpose, they, they, it overturns and overturns. So disobedience happened then and disobedience is happening now. We have to realize and appreciate the gift that we've been given that we can see and expose that mystery of iniquity where the world can't. And the leaders back then were, 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 it's the same as a parable of the shepherd. They fell asleep. You know, it all became products of men's vain imaginations. And all these things occurred then. It's all showing that, that they need a savior. And it's all going to lead. That's why Yahshua has to come into the flesh and fulfill a law that they couldn't keep. So now in this day and this age, by his grace and his mercy and him being in us, we can wait for our eventual glorification, which would be us being the part of Yahshua in that universal revelation, where all of a sudden all everything in the flesh is just going to be melted away, and we're going to be in the body, and he's the, and Yahshua is going to be the head. Now, this is all that's going to occur, but we we have to. What our, our obligation is, is to preach this gospel because how it's set up by the foolishness of preaching, we don't know when one soul that was predestined to hear this thing, that was dead spiritually, can go right from death right unto life. And only by the preaching and hearing and only by Yahshua's mercy because he's going to put himself right in them and change them. And this is just a, pre a precursor to Ezekiel 36. Get to that, whoever the reader is. Where is it, uh, 19? Because it's this, this is the gospel is about your heart. When you love something, it's the first thing that comes into your mind. Nothing, nothing, nothing supersedes your love. When you love someone, when you love this gospel, nothing should supersede it. And what he's going to do, he's going to cause you. He's going to change your ways. You can't rely on yourself to do it. If you could rely on yourself to do it, you wouldn't need a Savior because you're choosing the right way. You're doing it yourself. And as a book, like why the line of prophets are so important, every time a man did it on his own uh, realization, it, it ended up in death. Read on. Read 19 for me, please. Uh, Ezekiel 36 and 19. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, and according to their doings I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of Yahweh, and are gone forth out of this land. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which right. he had profaned among the heathen. See, that's the, the problem. You know, the world, you've got Allah, you've got Buddha, you've got uh, all these different titles, Lord, God, Jesus, all these man-made concepts, theories, and opinions that people are bowing their hearts to and bowing their knees to and giving adoration to, 
and they've been deceived. They don't even know they've been deceived. But by grace and mercy, we, our eyes are open. Our hearts have been circumcised. The flesh is taken away. That mystery of iniquity can't deceive us anymore. Scott, what did you read? I wanted 19 of the scripture. Of 11, uh, 19. Oh, I thought you said Ezekiel 36. Yeah, that's okay. It's the same principle, same thing. Go to 19. 11, Ezekiel 11 and 19. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Now, the world is looking at that, and they're thinking, but when we got up. A stone in our chest, and he's going to rip open our chest and pull out a stone and put back a, a fleshly heart? No, he's talking about a nature. He's talking about the way you react to things, what your preference is, what you, what you pursue, what you don't allow and allow to penetrate your core of, of your being. All these things, that's Yahshua in you. That's your, your only hope of glory. That's your strength. It's not you doing it. If you want to try and do it on your own, then... Somewhere down the road, you're going, to be in a, you're going to be patting your own self on the back, saying, oh, what a good job I did. Look, look what a good preacher boy I am. Look what a good uh, Yahshua and I am because of this or because of that. It's not that way. Not, our motivation is not to look for glory for ourselves. We're trying to just share the beauty and, and of this amazing purpose and, and creator that we have. Going from simple simplicity, one, two, three, to blow your socks off, witnesses that'll beat your head into the ground. It's irrefutable, undeniable. But he's got to make you see them and not only see them, but he's got to make it penetrate your heart. So now it means something of value. Now you're not just, uh, oh, it's not just knowledge that you can go around and brag about. No, you're seeing, you're understanding a creator so magnificent and a purpose so perfect and beautiful. And, and it, it's by simplicity. It's a one, two, three principle. A death, a burial, a resurrection, a blood, the water, spirit. All those things all agree in one. It's all showing forth a purpose. I didn't know nothing about a purpose when I first came to this class in this school. In, in my church, it was frowned upon. He, they ruled by fear. They ruled by, don't you dare ask, ask a question. You just listen to what we got to tell you. And if you act it up, you got a backhand, especially in my parish. It was, it was fierce. And especially being an altar boy, you had to, you had to walk on eggshells. And heaven forbid you make the wrong move or, or you do the wrong thing. You heard about it. And, Again, all all that fruit of that religion and, and that understanding back then was condemnation. I always left. I, I left there feeling good, and, and ten minutes down the road, I got condemnation. But that's not what this gospel does. This gospel frees us from condemnation. It gives us a conscience, and we understand and know what's right and what's wrong through the witnesses. And that's Yahshua in us, allowing us to understand it and see it and revealing it to us. Is that all in 19, Scott? Let's go further. Verse go 20. Yeah, go 20. 
that they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their Elohim. This, you know, this is pretty much the purpose of what's going to happen. You know, it, when when this age ends, you know, there's no dissension, there's no separatism, there's no uh, ego, there's no evil in in the body of Yahshua the Messiah. But it's just so beautiful principles like disease. There's no disease in the body of Yahshua. If you have a disease, you're sick. And you have a potential of dying. There's no disease in, in that body. There's no disease in this gospel. And that's the beauty of it. And that's how we can love one another because we see it and we understand it and we know it. And it penetrates our core. Read on. Verse 21. But as for them whose heart walketh after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, saith Yahweh Elohim. See, it's just it's just showing you all through the law and the prophets how if you followed what Yahweh uh, told them to do, they were okay. But it had to be that it's Yahweh's purpose is allowing them to do that. It wasn't them on their own. And by them failing, it was Yahweh allowing them to. That's how it was set up and purposed. Because it's setting up down the road and the purpose that Yahshua has to come in and fulfill all those things that they couldn't keep to be reverent. Read on. Then did the cherubims lift up their wings and the wheels beside them, and the glory of Yahweh Elohim of Israel was over them above. And the glory of Yahweh went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in the vision of the Spirit of Elohim into Chaldea. This is the beauty. I'm sorry, Dave. This is the beauty of this gospel. You have to realize, see, at first I didn't understand what a revelation was. I didn't understand what a vision is. But if you see this gospel, you have had a vision. You have had a revelation, and especially if it penetrates you and, and you realize the value of it. You've had a, not only a vision, but you've had a revelation. And it changes your nature. It changes the way you are. And it's not you doing it. That's the beauty of this gospel. Just by sitting there, and you never know. You don't know what soul is meant to hear it. And what soul is not meant to hear it? There's divine intervention to hear, and there's divine intervention not to hear. And that was crazy for me when I would sit there and in class, and, and there were times where I heard things, and it penetrated my 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 skull and my heart, and my and I would look, and, and on the way home, I would talk to different people, and and they didn't hear they didn't didn't hear a thing. And now. Down the road, they end up leaving this class and, and going on their own ways to their own uh, ideas, needing a, a physical band to, to feel secure, so that so they can uh, have some sort of fight anxiety. And, and they got a man on the quote a man on the on the ground. We don't need a man on the ground. We have Yahshua in us. We can see physical things show us spiritual principles, but people 
can't, sometimes people just see physical things and they can't get past to see the spiritual principle of what it's trying to show them. That's the gift. And if we have it, we have to be just on our knees thankful. So, listen, I'm, I'm out of breath and out of, I'm out of gas. So I'm just going to, I hope uh, people appreciate this gospel and keep coming to class and hold on, hold fast and uh, wait for that universal revelation. So all these worries, all these miserable, miserable, miserable things of this flesh will be left behind us. And we'll be in that one body of unity, of love, of peace, of righteousness, and of joy. With that, I'm going to give up the floor. Give all praises and honor to Yahshua. Thank you, Dr. DeMassey. For our next speaker, I'd like to call on Dr. Rochelle Morgan from Illinois. Dr. Morgan. Hello, class. Hello. How are you all this evening? I hope everybody's fine. I enjoyed the remarks of um, of the second speaker because really the first speaker is the introduction to the gospel, and that's the moderation. And that's why um, I remember when I was invited to class for the first time, and they kept trying to tell me, "Make sure you come on time." And um, I have a, I've always been a person that likes to be on time for stuff. So that was easy for me to do. Um, and I got there on time. And, and you remember so many things that happened. But what you don't remember is the, I don't remember what was there from the floor other than the name. You know, and coming from that um, Christian background, I never knew the names. Or the titles. And I definitely didn't know about heaven or hell. Those are things I thought that my priest had taught me. And it's amazing to me when you talk to certain people in certain religions, they really believe that hell is a geographical and heaven is a geographical location. And they believe that's where when they die and they believe their bodies go in there. And because the world doesn't teach us about a soul or anything of that nature. So I'm just going to go over some basic things that I've learned since being down here. And the thing that I learned was the name of the creator was Yahweh. And I had to first learn what the creator was because uh, the world didn't teach me what God was. They just said, there's a God. He lives in the sky. And so you're always facing towards the sky to talk or to even try and understand anything about God. Uh, can we get John 4 and 24? Now, the tool that I was taught to use um, was the Bible, and because I, I didn't grow up reading the Bible, but I've heard the stories in the Bible, and I didn't know the Bible was broken down. Like the first five books is called the law. The remaining 34 books are the prophets. And then you have what they, the leaflet calls the New Testament, which is not, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those. And they consider that to be the New Testament, but we teach by law, prophets, and fulfillment. And this came from a man in the year 1931, Dr. Henry C. Kinley, who had a divine vision and revelation. His name is on the chart very little. 
And he always was saying he, he's only giving to us what the father gave to him. And once he gave him this divine vision, then he had to give him an understanding, which is a revelation of what he saw and what it meant. And that's the self-same thing that has to come down. When you come to class, you're going to see what Dr. Kinley saw, which is this pictorial illustration on these charts. That's what he's using to teach us about what he saw. And so after you look at it, you don't know what you're looking at. It looks like a picture, but you don't, a picture of what? And you'll see how things are broken down. And then you're going to get an understanding or a revelation of what you saw. So in the, in the sense of the name, I they went to the name chart and they used the mosaic chart and said that Yahweh, can we get John 424, please? John 424. Yahweh is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, that's a commandment. So I had to find out that what I called God and Lord, it was a spirit. And it said, Yahweh is spirit. And I was like, well, and I had to learn that spirit is made up of attributes. That's what makes spirit. That's what spirit is. It's these divine attributes. And they're pictorially illustrated on this mosaic chart. And um, it's intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, beauty, love, justice, uh, foundation, power, and strength. This is what spirit is. This is not what he has possession of, but this is the makeup. He's the source and the substance of everything. And in that pure spirit state, it says that he's incomprehensible and inscrutable, which means to me, I've got five. Most people have five senses. Some people think they have a sixth one. I don't know. But the five that I have cannot tell me anything about pure spirit. Then I had to learn that this was uh, one of the attributes of this spirit we're talking about is love. So then I really cling hold fast to that this is a love story that the creator gave to Dr. Kinley in the year 1931. And what he's supposed to do with this vision that he got directly from the creator is to teach his people. And it's um, in the Bible in several places where he says, you know, teach my sheep, teach my people. And that's what all the apostles, apostles that's what their jobs were. And then I had to come to find out that, you know, uh, that's what our job is once we get an understanding. It's not to hold it and, and keep it to ourselves. And, and most people didn't. I know when I first got the name of Yahweh, being pure spirit and having these divine attributes, and then when he takes on a shape and form so we can better understand him, and it says here, he gave himself the title Elohim, which is the archetype, meaning he's the original pattern of the universe. So I had to learn that spirit, which is Yahweh, can take on incorporeal. And when he took on that incorporeal form, and that's invisible. Uh, I'm going to also need Romans 1, 19 and 20. And it's in the Bible, say, I mean, in the moderation, it said he can be seen in divine vision and divine revelation, meaning you need help to see him and help to understand him. And that's what Frank talked about earlier, too. But he could also, that self-same spirit, get into a physical body at an appointed time for our soul salvation. So I've talked about many things just now, just going over the process of Yahweh in that pure spirit taking on shape and form, then being in and out of a physical body as our salvation. And when he took on that shape and form as our salvation, he gave himself the name of Yahshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. 
And then I had to understand, well, why is salvation so important? Because in the Catholic Church, they don't teach about salvation. They, they didn't teach me anything about when I die. I just knew I died and I went to hell and went to heaven. That's about as much as I knew. And once I understood that the creator was a pattern, well, what does a pattern consist of? And that's on the, um, that's right there on the same chart. Can I get that one scripture read first, please? Romans 119, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So see, I found out I really had no excuse, but I didn't know this was in the Bible. I've never heard the scripture or anything like that. And it says something can be known about, you know, the creator. Well, I thought I was just so happy when I saw that little pamphlet we used to pass out to first time visitors. And it was a small little pamphlet and they would go over the names. So I rushed to my priest to show it to him, and he looked at it, and he said, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, there was no bickering. There was no argument. He's like, yes, we know these names, but it's more profitable, profitable for us to use the name of Lord God and Jesus Christ. So in other words, to this Catholic priest, it didn't make any difference what you called him. And what I had to learn was that's a very dangerous state of mind to be in when you are convinced by the world that it doesn't matter what you call him which is totally opposite of what the creator says um can we get somewhere in acts um where there is no other name in heaven or something like that but then i also wanted in acts the 17 uh i think 17 and 28 where he tells us about yahweh and how he really is um it says we live, move, or something like. Can we get that read, please? I know that's in Acts, and the other one's in Acts too, but I just want the 17 and 28 right now. Okay, Acts 17 and 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So when you hear something like for in him, that that takes so much everything we're saying takes so much explanation that's why we ask you to come down with an open mind and an open heart and some paper and pen and take some notes this is a school we're not trying to teach you something so you can say uh by osmosis no this this you have to do some research i'm um, why do i say that because in order for me to get a better understanding I couldn't just sit there and say, oh, okay, his name is Yahweh. I had to go and do some research. I had to go and talk with the person that helped me get us, I thought, a spiritual understanding. And I went to them first to talk with them to see, are these people correct with this? Because I've never heard this before. And then when he said, yes, they're correct, but then it doesn't matter what you call him. Well, what's the point in knowing the truth? And then they still tell you um, something that's not true after that, because it says in Romans, there is something that we can know about the creator, but the world doesn't teach that. I was um, listening to a lecture the other day and someone was saying how, which is true. They have been taught and I've been taught this all my life. If you want to know about the creator, God, Lord, God, Jesus Christ, you're going to find out more about him when you take off the flesh. That's the total opposite of what the truth is. We teach down at this school. You have to know right now while you're breathing, while you're alive, while you're above the ground. You have to know your creator now and get that relationship now. You can't wait to die 
to learn of him because we just read and said, but there is no excuse. And what is that? And what that has really come to mean to me when we say there's no excuse, you take something as simple as looking at nature or I'm going to use water. The um, uh, water is something that we are, the world is having a shortage of right now all over. And uh, some people praying for rain. Some people wish it stopped raining. There's flooding. There's all type of stuff. But water is one of the tools that you need because your body, I believe, is 97% water or something like that. So you need water to survive. And water consists in three states. It's two hydrogen and oxygen. That's just the chemical makeup of water. But water can be in a gaseous state, a liquid state, or a solid state. And I'm using that example because that's what the that's how the creator is. He existed by this with this pattern. Being in that pure spirit state, he's abstract. He has the name of Yahweh. And when he takes on shape and form, uh, that's intermediate. That's that liquid. That's Yahweh Elohim. And then when he gets into a physical body and walk the earth plane, he gives himself the name of Yahshua, the Messiah. And that's solid. So you have gas, liquid, and solid. You have abstract abstract, intermediate, and concrete. Those are the states that the creator exists in. I didn't know any of that. And the importance of knowing just that little bit helps you to better understand when you are reading the Bible and you understand why uh, the name is so important because they'll have you They'll have you believe in things that makes no sense. They, you know, um, the Bible is a very complex book, but if we go back a pattern and have some tools to work with, it'll make more sense. Just like it says, and uh, I think the law of the prophets, it says, uh, if they speak, can we give where it says, if they speak, not according to this word. I mean, there, there are scriptures like that that help us to now get a better understanding on how to listen, how to make better judgment. And we also have a textbook in this school. And in the beginning of our textbook, Dr. Kinley talks about how people have failed to make a detailed investigation on the things that they have learned in and out of class, out here in the world. You have to make a detailed investigation. And when I had to learn that I was made up spirit, soul, and body, that's a detailed investigation for me because I didn't know that's how I was made up. I just thought I had a body and that was it. I knew nothing about the saving of a soul and about the flesh. I mean, you know, they make up so many um, interpretations that movies like The Exorcist scare the mess out of you because this is all you see or things like that. And you're like, I don't want to see the devil. I don't want to see that. Not realizing that what we're telling you will will shake you. And it's worse than watching the Exodus, worse than seeing that green vomit come out that girl's face. You you learn this truth and you are going to be shaken to your very existence because now you have a reason to ask questions of, well, how come I never was taught this type of stuff? How come I didn't know this as a little girl in the third grade? Talk, and, and Frank talks wonderfully about, wonderfully about the Catholic Church. And... And it was just, it just brought back, it brings back memories for me about those altar boys and how you just, that was like being a captain of police. If you were an altar boy, you got the best, they had the best because they worked with the, with the priests. So people look, and that's what's ingrained in little kids. And they look at stuff like that and they, oh, and oh, I want to be like this. And they put these not realistic impressions on the child's mind. And when Yahshua said, uh, Dr. Kinley explained to us how once he got this divine vision of revelation, everything we'd learn, 
absolutely everything we learned was a lie. It was incorrect. And that really blew me away because I didn't know that. And when you say it was a lie, it was incorrect. We were just taught things that were not right. We were taught things and only dealt with the physical body, with the flesh. And it says in John, I believe, can we get John 663, something like that? If we can read there a little, that'll help a little. John 6 and 63. Mm -hmm. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. See, I didn't know stop for a sec. I didn't know it said it's the spirit. Now, once you learn that you are in a physical body, within that physical body, you have a soul and that soul is operating by universal spirit law. And then you learn universal spirit law has two mysteries in operation, the mystery of righteousness and the mystery of unrighteousness. And when you learn that kind of stuff and you realize that, uh, that the spirit it said, this, read that line again. That's, that's a wonderful scripture to know. It is the spirit that quickeneth. It's the spirit that quickeneth. And then when you think of the word quickeneth, you should be like, well, what is it quickeneth? What is it quickening? You know, and if you're made up body, soul and spirit. And when you come and I didn't learn this till I came to the school. I didn't know I was in a physical body and I had a soul and I walked around all my life with a dead soul. I did not know that. I didn't know the difference from life or death. And this is why this vision is so utterly important because it teaches you Yahweh's way of looking at things. And then when you read in that scripture in Exodus and, and where it says Yahweh, the name was given to him, the man Moses, and he said he had to turn aside to see. Well, see, that same thing has happened to us. We come down in these classes. Most of us are over 21. And we have to turn aside to see. And I don't mean physically turn aside with your body, but more so with your mind's eye. When you, when I was taught the name was Yahweh and his title was Yahweh Elohim and my salvation was in the name of Yahshua and no longer Jesus. No J, no Jesus. What does that mean to me now? There is no letter J in the Hebrew, the Greek or the Latin language to this day. Yahweh has two things that he cannot do. He cannot lie and he cannot change. And just the fact that that was to this day. And why is that so important? Well, the Bible was written in Greek. It was written in Hebrew. It was written in Latin. And you got a lot of people that don't want to believe the book. They say, well, a man wrote the book. But yes, a man, the man that wrote the book, it says, if we can get in the scripture under the law, under the fulfillment, he said that they were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then you want to get John 14, 26. Then we learn who was the teacher down here and what is he teaching you and what do you need to know for? Because there's an impending doom. The world is not going on forever. You don't live in these bodies forever. You don't even, I don't, well, I'm getting older. I truly don't want to. I know recently someone like Tina Turner died and it just freaked me out. And I knew she wasn't going to be around forever, but I happen to really like her. And at the same time, Yashua had to break down. He said when she went to sleep that night, she had no idea if she was going to wake up or not wake up in the morning. And what amazed me as I read more about her, she was one of the few people that I read about that said she was not scared to die. She, she knew she had uh, liver cancer and all these other diseases, so she knew one day it was going to happen. But for, to hear that someone didn't have a fear is amazing to me. And this woman didn't have that fear. Now, I don't know her reasoning for not having it, but I know the reason why I don't have that fear, because I know Yahweh. 
And that's a big difference. When I came into the world, one of my things I was scared of was death. Because you don't know what's going to happen when you die. You can say, well, I didn't do anything bad. I'm a good person. I'll probably make it to heaven. We don't want to live on probably because your soul is eternal. What we're teaching you, we're talking about eternal life, not just uh, a life of like Adam, 930 years, not the life of Tina who only lived 83 years or anybody else. You know, it's not like that. We're talking something eternal. So when I came to the school and I had to learn about the word metaphysical means to study beyond the physical body, everything is going to start to make sense if you keep coming back. Now, you were reading something for me about the uh, spirit in John. John 6.63? Yes, sir. Okay. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. So then my spirit, it said the spirit that quickeneth. The spirit it quicken it what? It quicken it your dead soul. See, I didn't know that process of a dead soul being there is life after death of a dead soul. And Dr. Kelly used to say when you came into this room, and they would always use this mosaic chart and say you came in DOA, dead on arrival. And you're like, well, how was I dead? I walked around the physical body, but what I didn't know, I didn't know the creator, and that's where I was dead. My soul was dead because it had no had no knowledge of him, no relationship, no nothing, none of that. So I was there towards the purpose of Yahweh placing us here on earth. And so many of us walked around wondering, what was I, what was I born for? What's my purpose? What do I want to do? And the world convinces you or teaches you your purpose is to become someone, get a name for yourself, make money. None of those things matter. It said it is the spirit that quickened it. And it said the flesh, which is what you're in, as I said, you're made of body, soul, a spirit, soul, and body. And it said the flesh profited nothing. So these things that the world is teaching us is nothing. So what Tina Turner died, and she left millions to her family. That's great. I wish she was my cousin. But anyway, continue with reading in John. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that's why it's so hard for the world to understand this, because if you are a layman or you're a man or a woman that doesn't have a knowledge of the Holy Spirit or you're void of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand the words. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And that's why I'm going to use my priest as an example. He hasn't had any words spoken to him that was spirit and life. And that's why he could just brush me aside and say, yes, the name of Yahweh is real. The title Yahweh Elohim, we know this and our salvation is in Yahshua the Messiah. But these words and these definition of these names, they meant nothing to him. But see, the difference is once you are a recipient of the Holy Spirit, you will find out what is important to you. And you will realize it has nothing to do with these worldly possessions. And that's what the most that's what I come down here to listen to. Every time I go to class, I get to hear more and more that how these worldly possessions should mean nothing to you. That means nothing. We're talking about spiritual things. We're asking you to put down everything you've learned. Lay it aside and give us your undivided attention so we can teach you what was taught to us. Because that's what the apostles did. They walked around. And man, you talk about when I think about I'm in a rural south right now where there's nothing but cornfields and peas fields and all this dirt. And I think about the apostles, how they had to walk from town to town. And, you know, they were riding on donkeys and what have you. It's just filthy. And these people just walked around 
going from town to town, Corinthians, Timothy, you know, those different places, uh, trying, Colossians, and trying to get the brethren to see he has come. He's here. Now, that was uh, thousands of years ago when they had the opportunity to talk face to face to Yahshua. And Yahshua was telling him how think not over in Matthew 5, 17, that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets, those are his witnesses. He said, I came to fulfill what was written in the law. So for the world now to teach these people out here that the Messiah came to give them a good Christian example is a lie. He's not about teaching you to be a good Christian. We're not about teaching you to be a good Christian or good anything. Your parents, whoever raised you, should have made you understand the values of being nice to one another. Understand the values of loving one another. Understand the values of not stealing from one another, not raping your neighbor's wife, not warning your neighbor's things. These are things that should have been taught to you as you were growing up. And when you come down to a place like this, we're not trying to teach you that. We're trying to teach you something very spiritual. We're trying to tell you that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. That doesn't mean that because I, I have an understanding that I, I get to stop working, I can go lock myself in the closet and not do anything. I still got to get up. I still got to go to work. I can't retire yet. I still have to eat. And, and what's so sad, I still have to try and preach this gospel in this town where people don't want to hear anything about the Messiah. Because I'm like, well, Yahshua, I'm down here. There are thousands of people. And don't nobody want to hear the gospel. It's heartbreaking. Nobody. Well, I, I see the five minutes. I'm going to stop. But I'm just saying it. I'm like, why you? I've done this before. I went to Georgia. I lived there five years. I went there trying to get my sister and her family to listen to the gospel. Nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody. Now I'm in a, down here in Southern Illinois. All these schools, all these educated people, PhDs. I know so many educated people. I can't have a conversation with them about the truth. These Christians down here don't want to know. So I'm like, well, okay, Yashua. I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm on the Isle of Patmos. I'm by myself from a natural standpoint. So all I can do now is depend on the brethren through these Zoom classes, through these telephone Zoom classes, through the little picnics we have, the little meetings and gatherings that we have. You are all that we, we are all that we have. And that's why we have to hold each other's arms up. You may think I don't want to come to class tonight, but you don't realize it's an honor. It's a joy to have a class to go to. I have not been to a class in two years, but I'm in class every single day. And at the same time, you know, when you're out here in the world like I am and you realize, I understand now why Dr. Kinley said he used to walk around and see nothing but dead people, all these dead souls. And you have the truth in you and, and they don't want to hear it. So I'm going to end on that note. I hope it wasn't too depressing. We treat, we preach a lively very lively gospel. This is a lively gospel. And whatever state and condition you find yourself in, count it a blessing because Yahshua is there with you. We're never alone. So I hope somebody got something out of this. I give all praise and honor and glory to my father and I'll give it over to the moderator. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Morgan. <clears throat> and for our next speaker, I'd like to call on the president of the Oceanside, California class, Dr. Carl Emler. Dr. Emler. Good evening. Good evening. Um, 
We have uh, John 3.16. John 3 and 16. For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, um, this is a fairly common Bible verse in the world. And um, I think Christianity holds this Bible verse uh, close to their heart. It's dear to them. Talking about the verse. Um, as I was listening to the speakers um, tonight, I thought about what is the physical manifestation of you loving something. And uh, rather than thinking of it from a romantic standpoint, and that's really not where my mind went, because there are uh, problems trying to identify how you manifest loving something when you think romantically, because many times uh, we have a romantic experience that is not permanent. And when, as an adolescent, we call it puppy love. Uh, in other ways, you know, we just call it an infatuation. And at the time we're involved in an infatuation, uh, we call that love. But by virtue of the way of an infatuation goes, that is to say that it's temporary, uh, is not a true definition of love. This that we read in John 3.16, we're not talking about an infatuation or puppy love or anything of that matter. First of all, we're not talking about you loving something. We're talking about the creator loving. And the reason why I bring this up is because um, another thing I thought of during class today was the nature of our collective interest in learning something definite and, um, well, learning something definite, sufficient, definite. If you, if you know the definition of the word definite, why don't we look that up real quick? And the reason why I'm doing this this way is because, uh, you know, both the speakers spoke about their experience in Christianity. Um, and um, both of them uh, were Roman Catholics. There are other 
forms of Christianity, but Roman Catholicism, I'll use this term, is the mother of all of the Christian dialects and or all of the Christian sects that we have. And I think Diane looked it up at one point. There were tens of thousands of them now. Um, I, I don't know. My mind is thinking 40 or 60, and she's not she had to step out for a moment, so I'll ask her later. But there are a lot of sects uh, of Christianity. and But the very first identified, uh, organized uh, sect of Christianity, not the organized sect of uh, the gospel of Yahshua the Messiah that was preached by uh the apostles. Uh, this is, you're going to find out, a very different uh, gospel than is preached by uh, sub subsequent generations who established the Roman Catholic Church and then from which that uh, uh, doctrine or philosophy called the Roman Catholic Church uh, initially came Lutherans, and historically, Martin Luther uh, was was a Roman Catholic priest, and differed with the doctrine that he had been taught. He had questions, and he did not see that his questions with respect to Roman Catholicism were in agreement with how he read the Bible, and no one could explain to him. Uh, sufficiently to satisfy him that uh, he should leave those contradictions that he was facing in Roman Catholicism and stay with the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I said all that because that is a kind of a historic perspective of the very beginning of the outflow from Roman Catholicism, these various uh, protesting uh, religious groups or Protestant religious groups. And uh, it, these groups came from the original Roman Catholic uh, doctrine because these Roman Catholic priests were not satisfied with what the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church was. It didn't satisfy them. They had questions that weren't answered, and they were not satisfied. So they left the church and established uh, their own religious interpretation uh, of God. Now, um, I didn't say of the Bible. I said of God. And this is why I said it that way, is because... Uh, there is a difference between believing in uh, a God and believing in uh, what the Bible has to say about God. I'm struggling with trying to 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 get this point across. I uh, uh, I want definite definite. I also want uh, where Paul preached. And here, let me get it. Um, oh gosh, my brain goes crazy when I 
trying to work my iPad. I have to go back into stupid mode. <laughs> it's, it's true. What can I say? Uh, let me see here. I'm going to want um, Acts, the 28th chapter. And let me tell you where in a minute, but first get me defi definite in the dictionary. I'm going to try to pull this together. Go ahead. It's out of the Merriman Webster's Dictionary and Thesaurus. Definite, having distinct limits, clear in meaning, typically designing, designated, and identified or immediately identifiable person or thing. Determinate. Finite, limited, measured, narrow, restricted. All right. So that's, I want that first definition. So this second definition that you're reading uh, has to do with um, having, you know, definite limits and bounds. If you're doing a drawing, it's finite. It, you can get right down like a microscope and see the very detail of it. Um but I want that first definition uh, again, if you would. Having distinct limits. Go ahead. Uh, clear in meaning, typically designated, designating an identified or immediately identifiable person or thing. Now, so this is a description of uh well uh, you can't use the same word in the sentence that you want to describe your sentence this is how you describe something when you come when you talk about something that's definite it's not ambiguous um see also wait a minute what's this right here all right diane just hand handed me something uh, see also clear, defined, distinct, explicit, expressed. Um, the, uh, the opposite of definite is ambiguous. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if anyone here, uh, and you can speak out, doesn't know at least an, an, an idea of what ambiguous means. If someone's trying to explain something to you, they're not making it clear and you can't understand it, it could be any way, shape, or form, it's ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Something that's definite is defined so clearly that you recognize it as soon as you see it. And these are two very different things. Now, most religions are based primarily on what someone interprets or thinks the Bible means by what it says. And so, for instance, Roman Catholicism came up with the doctrine of a trinity because they saw Jesus pray to his father. So they figured he must be talking to somebody and that somebody's looking up. So whoever he's talking to must be in heaven so, and it must be older than him because he's talking to the father. And uh, and then they read where this man, Jesus, who talked to the father, 
had the Holy Spirit come to him. So they decided that, well, there are three distinct somethings going on here. They argued about it. And there were different opinions down through years until, uh, I guess it's 400 AD or somewhere around there, three, three or 400 years after uh, the death of the Messiah. They concluded by majority of people agreeing that uh, God is a trinity, three separate personalities, but all one God. And it didn't make sense to them. So therefore, they included in this doctrine that this is a supernatural mystery that no one can understand because there isn't a witness for it or an example of it in the world. Now, you Roman Catholics, have I mis misrepresented uh, any of that yet? Frank? No. I mean, this is important. This is important because this doctrine came from men who argued about it and come up with deciding, let's all agree that this is the way that it is. And after agreeing that this is the way that it is, then they turned around and told the people, if you want to be identified as a Christian, you must, M-U-S-T, believe that God is a trinity, three separate persons, but one God, and that you can't understand this. It is a tenement, tenant, tenement is a building you live in, it is a tenant of uh, Christianity, uh, this idea of a trinity. And, uh, and even in Protestantism, they believe in a trinity because if you don't believe in a trinity, as far as Christianity is concerned, you're a heretic. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this idea of uh, the way they've established uh, a doctrine is what I'm trying to get at as far as the difference between uh, um, an accurate definite understanding and a theory concept and an opinion these are two very different things now this occurred to me with respect to john 3:16 that yahweh or god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son he didn't give something less than the very most precious thing that he had. And I'm using these terms not to try to define uh, the, the Yahweh, the Father, and, and the Son at all at this point. I'm just trying to define for you uh, uh, an appreciation for the level of love that Yahweh had bestowed to his creatures and the creation. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Now, uh, uh, remember, uh, uh, I talked about uh, something definite, 
in terms of an understanding. Now, when we read this scripture, it, 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 there are a lot of different ways to feel about it. Um, because people that, as I said, Christianity holds the scripture to their heart. So there's a lot of ways to feel about it. And they can feel, oh, that's so beautiful or what. But in order to understand what we are doing here tonight and what you're doing and what you're investing your uh, time this evening, tonight, we should uh, appreciate and ask ourselves what is the level of love that we have for our creator? Now, we understand the level of love that Yahweh or God has for his creation. And we appreciate that. We love that he loves us so much. Uh, now, reread John again in there. Uh, uh, 316. John 3 and 16. For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Yahweh or God uh, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him. That only begotten son, period, whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish and shall have everlasting life. Not whosoever shall believe in whatever they think God's son is like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these classes, when I first came into class uh, back in the 70s, I was a 21 years old. I went to a room uh, in a library in uh, Syracuse and sat in my very first class. And it was two hours where some guy stood up in front of the room and talked for two hours. I have never had that experience in church. As a matter of fact, the minister or priest in church doesn't spend more than 15 or 20 minutes talking to you about something. And the rest of it is just ceremony and, uh, I don't know, walking, uh, standing and praying and singing and reading. And But the priest, the minister, spends maybe 15 or 20 minutes on his homily. This time I'm sitting in a class, a 21-year-old kid, and I'm paying attention to someone expounding about God for two solid hours. And to be honest with you, uh, back then it was longer than two hours. Uh, for the most part, uh, it uh, approached three or four hours if you count uh, after class and going out and getting something to eat and just continuing to talk about it. Uh, there was an immersion in uh, an understanding about how the Bible can explain great mysteries about God, such as 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a whole lot of stuff going on in that uh, uh, scripture that people have no appreciation for in the world. First of all, it's an expression of God's love, and it mentions his son. And so people envision or have an idea of what the son of God is like. And then uh, it tells you that if you believe in whatever uh, is being spoken of in, in John 6, the, uh, this, this verse, that you won't perish, which indicates if you don't believe in that, you will perish. And so there were a lot of things that uh, when I was a Lutheran, uh, I did not have impressed on me about God. God was uh, spoken of in the Lutheran church, just like it's spoken of in the Roman Catholic church. But the details, the definite nature of what was said, first of all, was not explained. And so it had no impression upon me. And so I was allowed to leave church and have some kind of an idea of what the heck they were talking about without having any evidence, without having any proof, without having ever had any witnesses to uh, cause me to believe uh, uh, what they were saying is true. It was mostly um, uh, ceremony. Now, I'm talking about this idea of Yahweh and the love that he has, and that he gave his only begotten son. And that is to say that Yahweh gave his all uh, as a function of the expression of his love. And now I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to think about this. Is that, is that if you love something, I mean, actually love something, whether it's something to do or whatever, if you love something, you give your all to it. You are fully immersed in that. Uh, I know people, I know people who love a football team and who are so immersed in this love of this football team that they have created in their basement a shrine. It, Diane's chuckling, but it's really uh, uh, an interesting, it was really an interesting experience for me to see how greatly someone could love a football team that they would erect a shrine in their basement and they would buy stock in this football team, pay money, I don't know, $100 or so per share, whatever, a stock in this football team. And you'd think, well, that's great because, you know, if they do good, my stock goes up. And if they do bad, my stock goes down. No. You buy stock in this football team and you can't sell it. And it doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. It's a donation to the football team and they call it stock. And then you say, I'm a part owner. But they don't 
have any benefit from that at all. That's how much they love a football team. Now, I, I'm trying to get across to you the idea of that we know what it means from a physical manifestation to love something. Many of us have a hobby that we are immersed in. I, uh, for instance, I loved uh, rock climbing and snowboarding. And I realized one of the reasons why I love those kinds of sports is because I love doing something that I do by myself. And so that's where my passion is, is, is doing it myself and not on a team or any of that kind of stuff. That's just who I am and not right or wrong, but I, it's, it's what drives me. If I were to do a sport, it would have to be a sport, a personal independent sport. So there's something about, and so I went and did crazy things, jumped out of an airplane because I could do that by myself. <laughs> All of this kind of stuff uh, I pursued spent money on it and everything else. And I realized, you know, that that's a manifestation. The same guy, same as this guy who has a shrine in his basement for a football team. Now, this is where I'm coming from with this. If you really love something, you commit your life to it. And you may have a job and the money goes into what your love is. Uh, if you love sailing, you get a bigger sailboat and you'll go broke for that kind of a thing. You immerse yourself in something that you love. And people all over the world uh, uh, proclaim a deep love of God. But seldom does anybody immerse themselves in uh, the pursuit of that God. Uh, uh, We spend two hours trying to go into details about God out of the law and the prophets. And if you love God, you, oh, good. Thank you. Uh, I had no idea what was going on the way the speakers were going. I see the five minutes. Uh, if you uh, uh, actually love your creator, you will find yourself trying to learn about him and not about a theory, concept, or an opinion. And that's why you sit in these classes and we go back all the way to Abraham. We go back to Abraham. We do ages and dispensations. And Diane chuckled to me one time. People talk about ages and dispensations and the world doesn't even know what that means. They don't know that there were ages and dispensations and the law of Moses. They don't know that this covenant was given to Jews and to Jews only. We spend the time to go into these scriptures and to give you the means whereby you can become confident that you have a definite, uh, discreet, uh, accurate understanding of what the scriptures tell us God is like. Not a man. And, and the, I'll just end with that Acts, the 28th chapter, I think. Carol, Carol. Yes. You can continue on. Go ahead. All right. Um, oh, gosh. You're Let me go. Ending. Huh? You're not ending. You are continuing on. Okay. Hold on. All right. I, I understand. 
my mind goes back and forth with this. So, but let me do this. The side, the five minute side blew me a bit, but I, I'm going to go on. Let me, let me just get uh, Acts 28. Um, 23. Let me stay. No, hold on for a second. Let me see where I want to start. Started at uh, 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 17, Acts 28, 17. And it came here. Paul, Paul is called to Rome. I'm sorry, uh, Dave. Let me just. Paul is called to Rome uh, and he's uh, a prisoner. Um, Paul suffered uh, uh, to dwell by himself with a soldier who kept him. So he was under house arrest, essentially. And it came to pass after three days. This is what he does. So now he's a prisoner in Rome, and he's going to call the Jews together. Go ahead now, Dave. And it came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And then, and the, and when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. Now, so Paul is making a statement here that he's been uh, made a prisoner, but he hasn't done anything wrong. And, and this is what he says. I have not committed anything against the people. This is to say the, the Jews or the Hebrews. He hasn't committed anything against the Hebrews or the Jews or the people uh, uh, or the customs of our fathers. Now, uh, uh, let me have uh, the Messiah. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, it could be 539 where he's chastising the, the priests. When he calls him, no, it's, it's the sixth chapter, because I think that's where he calls him, you are of your father, the devil. Eight. Eight. <laughs> I should know these things, Kathy. What could I say? So let me have uh, 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 John 8. 44. 844. Yeah, go ahead. Give me John 844. John 844. Ye are of your father, the devil. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I got to go there. Because uh, I'm ca I'm contrasting this with what he said about the customs of the fathers. I'm, I'm making a, uh, an example here. Um, let's see. Uh, you do the deeds of your father, 41. Yeah, that's about close to where I'm going. Uh, start at uh, 38. John 8 and 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now, this is the Messiah. Now, I've gone all the way back to the Messiah in order to contrast what Paul is talking about here uh, in uh, Acts. And so try to stay with me on this, because this is what I mean with respect to the importance of the details and the specifics of what is in the Bible, it is instructive for us 
to be able to understand uh, God or Yahweh as he really is and actually exists and not as he is a function of someone's uh, theory, concept, and opinion. And again, uh, this Roman Catholic Church, which came together, you know, some two or three hundred years after Paul was long gone and John was long gone on the Isle of Patmos, they were confused by all the things that they had heard, and they tried to come up with what they thought everybody was talking about, and it turned into Roman Catholic, the Roman Roman Catholicism. And let me just say this as an addendum to that, and that is. That and when they decided on the the Trinity, it was a vote, and the Pope is not chosen by God. He does. There's not a vision of God or the Word of God coming to the Pope to make him a Pope. Uh, we had the Word of God coming to Isaiah, the Word of God coming to Ezekiel. We had Yahshua the Messiah coming to 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 Paul on the road to Damascus and give him a vision and subsequently a revelation. Uh, Moses was called by a vision at the burning bush uh, to go down and bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt. Israel, when they came up out of Egypt, gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and uh, heard the voice of God or Yahweh Elohim himself speaking to them this covenant. Uh, every time Yahweh, uh, uh, when, when Yahweh chose Saul, to be uh, a king, uh, Yahweh Elohim <clears throat> went to Solomon, and Solomon went to to uh, his his father, Saul's father, uh, and uh, or went to Saul and anointed Saul before the people uh, chose Saul. Because Yahweh knew they would choose Saul because he was so tall and big. But Yahweh's always doing the choice. All the way down through the scriptures, it's God or Yahweh that's making these choices of who is going to lead the people, who is going to be a king, who is going to be a judge, who is going to be a ruler, uh, and who is going to go against him. Yahweh chose Pharaoh to go against him uh, uh, back when uh, Israel was in bondage. So Yahweh's doing all the choosing. When it comes to the Pope, all of the cardinals get together and begin voting on uh, who's going to be the next Pope. And they don't get it right the first time. And they don't get it right the second time. And they don't get it right the third time. And there's a lot of discussion back and forth and a lot of trading of favors and everything else in order to finally come up with the proper number of people to vote for a man to become Pope. That's how you get a Pope in the Roman Catholic Church this in 2023. That's how it'll happen when uh, the current Pope dies. They'll go into chambers and they'll vote and vote and vote and vote until you get white smoke. And it is not chosen by God. It is chosen by the decree of the men uh, in majority. That is the way that it happens, but it's not the way that it happens in the scriptures, see? And so here we have uh, Yahshua the Messiah, and he's going to make some statements, and then we're going to get back to Paul in Acts the 17th, or in Acts the 28th chapter as well. And I want you to understand that in all of this, you are intimately involved 
in this very self-same process. And that is this, is that you have the love of Yahweh in you that causes you to pursue answers to your questions until you are satisfied that they have been proven. That's who you are. The people who spend the time in these classes and the effort and humble themselves enough to know that they don't know and need to be satisfied and then listen to discern the witnesses and the examples. That's why these classes go on for two hours and then the discussion goes on afterwards. And this is the point I'm trying to make. This love that you have for your creator uh, is a result of uh, Yahweh having bestowed this grace on you to want to know instead of just to be satisfied with whatever somebody says. So that's where I'm going with this whole thing, just so you have the answer or the, the end point in your mind. Now, uh, 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 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. So Yahshua is making a distinction here between two different fathers. Now, uh, I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, now read, go, continue to read here, verse 39. Verse 39, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Yahshua saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, here's what they're thinking. So the Messiah says he came to do the works of his father and you do what you what you have seen of your father. And they're thinking, well, Abraham's our father. This guy that came out of Ur of Chaldees and who uh, Yahweh again chose. No one voted on Abraham, Abram having his name changed to Abraham. No one voted on that this man, Abraham, was going to be the one through whom uh, uh, the children of Israel would be established by J by Isaac, uh, the, the third uh, from Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, or then Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and all of Jacob's lineage became the children of Israel. And that's what Israel is thinking when they're re rebuffing the Messiah. They're saying, we are of Abraham's seed. Uh, Abraham is our father, because they're looking back at Jacob, uh, who brought forth the children of Israel. Uh, but that's not the fathers that the Messiah is talking about. When the Messiah talks about his father, he's talking about a spiritual father. And when he's talking about their father, he's also talking about uh, uh, a spiritual father. And Abraham was a physical father. Uh, Isaac was a physical father. Jacob was a physical father. And all of the Israelites were birthed by physical other Israelites, and they became the children of Israel. And what we learn in this class is that that is a manifestation or an example of a principle. But nobody knew that back at the time of Moses. Nobody knew it at the time that the Messiah spoke, and the Messiah is instructing them now face to face. So uh, they say that they are from Abraham, and Yahshua says to him, well, if that were true, then you'd uh, do the works of Abraham. Read on here now. 
But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of Yahweh, this did not Abraham. So he just simply says, you know, Abraham had visitations from God. He had God visited him and had dinner with him as in a vision and and in a, a physical manifestation. Uh and uh gave Abraham promises right from the creator. And we accept that. We read that in the Bible and we accept that. And the Messiah goes right back to that and talks about how uh, uh, you seek to kill me because I have told you the truth. And Abraham didn't do that. Abraham bowed to Yahweh Elohim every time he came to Abraham. Abraham Yahweh Elohim gave Abraham a son when he was 90 years old or 99 years old. Uh, uh, and his wife was 99, gave him a son. And that son grew up into, uh, 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 you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kid. And, and Yahweh asked Abraham to sacrifice that son. And Abraham was going to do that and i'm not going to get into the details of it we know the story of how he uh, bound his son and laid him on the altar and he raised a sword to kill his son to sacrifice his son because he was asked to do it and yahweh uh withheld his hand and said you you know do this ram instead uh but the reason why abraham was going to be able to sacrifice his son, not because he expected that there would be a great death and a great loss to him, but his understanding and appreciation of his interaction with his creator was such that he knew, didn't guess about it, didn't think, oh, I think he's going to be a priest one of these days. He's such a good guy. None of that kind of stuff. He knew from whence that boy came from. And he therefore knew that Yahweh gave him that son, and Yahweh can give him that son back again. And the manifestation of that was when he left to sacrifice his son, uh, he told uh, those who were waiting for him to return, he said, you wait right here for me and my son, we will be back again. He already had it in his mind, the trust that he had in his creator because of his personal experience with God himself down through his uh, life, uh, allowed him to have that much faith, that much strength. Uh, and so uh, that is the kind of uh, a father that Abraham should have been to those Israelites or those priests, but he wasn't. They were ready to kill him. And he said, Abraham wouldn't have done that. And I told you the truth. And Abraham witnessed the truth. Come to him. See, now read on here. But you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I heard of Yahweh, and this did not Abraham. Read on. 41. You do the deeds of your father, then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even Yahweh. Yahshua said unto them, if Yahweh were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from Yahweh. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me, he that. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which All right, is so, that's, so this is the, these, these are these two fathers, and he's defined them now. He's talking right straight at the priests uh, 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 of Israel. And these priests that he's talking to are the same priests that raised Paul up and got Paul so uh, 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 infuriated at the apostles that he went out and had them uh, put in prison and had them killed. Uh, and he was at Stephen's stoning as uh, uh, a witness uh, to these priests. And Paul was following those priests, the, the, the law that was interpreted by those priests, because Paul didn't know any better. But on the road to Damascus, Yahshua himself showed up to Paul and described to him uh, who he was and opened up the scriptures now. Uh, uh, not the theories and concepts of the priests, which the Messiah was against, and called those theories and concepts uh, the devil, from their father the devil. He called them lies, uh, and uh, uh, the Messiah was put up on a cross uh, as a manifestation of the result of going against that father the devil. Because that father was a liar and a murderer, and so the Messiah goes up on this cross as a manifestation that those Jews, those priests, called for his death. And so, therefore, their doctrine was opposed to Yahweh's doctrine because they killed, if you will, crucified the son of Yahweh, who Yahweh sent in order to free these people from this covenant that was given to them that they couldn't keep. So, you have these two fathers being described here. So now I want you to go back over uh, into Acts 28, where we were. Um, we're at 28 and 19, Carl. All right, hold on. Let me get there. Uh, all right, we need to, I want to pick that back up again at, uh, I guess we got to go to 17. Go to 17 again. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of, your, of our fathers. So this know, is Paul talking about he has committed nothing against the people, the Israelites, the, the Jews, and nothing against the customs of their fathers. And when he, when Yahshua confronted the, the priests, they identified who those fathers were that Paul is talking about because they said, we are, Abraham was our father. And so uh, here Paul is telling you, I have done nothing against the customs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they followed Yahweh uh, to the letter uh, and worshiped Yahweh in righteousness. And he has done nothing to the customs of of those fathers, not the fathers of the people who had Paul thrown in prison and sent to Rome uh, to be judged. Uh, so read on here. 
yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. So they examined Paul. The Romans, who don't don't really have a dog in the fight of uh, Israel and the Israelites and the Pharisees, they were pagans. And so they just said, well, just tell us what's going on. And so Paul took the law and the prophets and uh, explained to them what he's been doing according to the law of the prophets. And they looked at the law of the prophets and they looked at what Paul was doing and they looked at what Paul was saying. They say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, they didn't have a vision and revelation and understanding of God, but they certainly could see that everything that Paul said, he had a reason to say, and it wasn't his theory, concept, and opinion. Paul took him to the scriptures, and you'll read later that he taught uh, uh, day and night out of the scriptures. And you do not get an explanation out of the scriptures for what Christianity teaches this night, and neither did the Jews get an explanation of the creator out of the scriptures at the time the Messiah walked uh, on the face of the earth. They were not coming from the scriptures. They were coming from traditions and, and theories. And so Roman Catholicism is based on traditions, not facts out of the Bible. And you come into this class and you will be inundated with uh, facts out of the scriptures. I've just grazed over them because uh, I what my my intent was not to get into a, a particular train of thought about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but my intent was to identify for you what is a manifestation of the love of Yahweh in this age and dispensation. And you are a manifestation of the love of Yahweh because you are patient enough to spend two hours and listen to details about Israel coming out of Egypt into the wilderness and in the Canaan's land and learning about the kings and learning about covenants and all of a sudden finding out there's ages and dispensations and then all of a sudden realize well, I can look at the creation and learn something. So people tell you about anatomy and physiology and cellular biology and uh, and physics of the atom and all other kinds of things for you not to learn about Bible biology, not to learn about uh, 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 physics and, and all that, but to learn invisible principles about your creator. You are driven to find out that that can be known about Yahweh. Uh, and we're going to go into Romans 1, 19 and 20 uh, uh, in a bit and, and expound a little bit on this. But uh, I want to continue here in Acts 28. And I forgot where we were, but... Verse 19. Uh, go for it, Dave. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. So the Jews just spoke against what he was saying. And so he had he in order to get out of trouble because he was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar. Uh, and, and he goes, not that I had anything to accuse my nation of, but he was accusing the leaders who were misrepresenting the nation. See, now read on here. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you. Now, these are the Jews. He's called the Jews together. 
This is why. And that's why you said, I'm not here to accuse you. I'm here to, to try to get you to understand. I'm pleading my case to the Jews now because the, the, the Romans already agreed. There's nothing wrong with him that he should die. See, read on. Because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Now, oh gosh, Paul says, for the hope of Israel, uh, I am bound with this chain. Give me really quick uh, um, uh, uh, where Paul talks about uh, they have a zeal toward Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. Is it 1 Corinthians? Romans 10, 1 through 4. I knew it was a 10. Thanks, Kath. Give me uh, the other. Give me that Romans 10, 1 through 4. Romans 10 and 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to Yahweh for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, this statement that Paul makes here, and I've said this before, this is not just uh, all my thoughts and prayers are with you because your children have been shot. And then they go out to lunch and have a ball with their friends. I'm talking about what goes on this night when we have these mass shootings and stuff and all of these political leaders get up and, oh, my thoughts and prayers go out to you. And they don't do a darn thing that can be done to at least alleviate some of the death and disaster. And then they go to lunch later and just sit around and talk about something altogether different. They don't even give it a second thought after that. This is not Paul's status here. Paul means what he says. His heart's desire and his prayer for Israel is that Israel might be saved. And that's why he says over here that uh, uh, I'm not against the nation. Uh, I, I, I had not ought to accuse my nation uh, and because his nation, his heart is towards his nation, towards his people, because he sees how badly they've been deceived because he was deceived. And so now his heart's uh, desire that Israel might be saved. Why? Because they have a zeal toward Yahweh. Go ahead and finish that. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal of Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. What does it mean that they have a zeal of Yahweh? The Jews, the Israelites, have all these laws that they have to keep. And if you go down into the heart of the Hasidic uh, Jewish neighborhoods, the way they dress, what they eat, how they operate during their day, what they can and cannot do, uh, on and on and on. Everything is lost, uh, a law to them that they try to follow. And that's the zeal that they have. But Paul, even back then, said it is not according to knowledge. And to this day, all of those laws that they're trying to keep, it's not according to the knowledge of Yahweh's purpose, which is what you're getting in these two hours. And every two hours you spend thereafter, uh, uh, you get a detailed explanation of what the purpose of Yahweh is, the law of Yahweh and not the law of man. Finish that off, Dave. Or, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, was <laughs> gonna, I was going to get there. <laughs> For they Go being ahead. ignorant of Yahweh's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of Yahweh. So what they've done is they've established their own righteousness. 
Now, we don't have time uh, to delve too deep into this, but if you go over into Deuteronomy, uh, the sixth chapter, I think it's 624, but I'll just quote what I know is back there, and hopefully we could find it if we absolutely need it. But uh, Yahweh told the people that it would be your righteousness if you do all the things that are contained in the law that he gave them from the top of the mountain. Yahweh defined righteousness as doing those specific works that he specified, the details. That's why I wanted to talk about this comprehensive, definite details. He described what righteousness was, and nobody could keep it. And so when the Messiah goes to get baptized, he tells John, John doesn't want to baptize him. John wants to be baptized by him because he said he didn't have any sin and John knew he was a sinner. So he said, well, if you don't have any sin, then you should be baptizing me. This is in the third chapter of Matthew. And Messiah says to him, John, I understand you're right about that, but suffer this to be so because we uh, are fulfilling all righteousness. And what the Messiah knew and what John the Baptist knew, but modern day Christians do not know is that when the Messiah spoke of fulfilling or finishing righteousness and uh, John the Baptist was willing to, to, to be a party of that by baptizing Yahshua, they both knew that the righteousness that they were speaking of was the righteousness that Yahweh had declared was righteousness, which was keeping the law of that old covenant. The Messiah was fulfilling that old covenant written in tables of stone and moving it out of the way. That was the definition of righteousness. And Christianity doesn't know that. Christianity has the uh, their own definition of righteousness, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, doing good or, uh, you know, giving up something on Lent and all kinds of things they establish as righteousness. But Yahweh always speaks what righteousness is. And when the Messiah came, he told the people what the new righteousness was going to be. And that was to love Yahweh with all your heart and with all your soul. Not do these works of the commandments and everything, but instead turn your soul and heart to Yahweh and love him. And that's why well, I had started this with Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, because now under this covenant, it is a covenant of love. And if you, if, if you love your creator, uh, you will give whatever it takes. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your attention and your patience and your willingness to suffer uh, class after class and to go and ask somebody, what did you mean by that? And try to learn these things about your creator. See, you would do that. And so Paul is, is showing what is in his heart for his people and the things that we do to go into these details in order to get you to understand something specifically that you can count on. I see the five minute sign. Thank you. Something that you can count on uh, uh, is uh, uh, a manifestation of the love that you have for the truth over your own theories, concepts, and opinions. And I just want you to appreciate where you stand and the love that you have, that Yahweh has given you, graced your heart with the desire to know him. Not everybody has the desire to know him. You can show them that the name is Yahweh and most people won't even care. They don't care whether it's his name or not. 
and they just decide that he doesn't care either because they don't care. So they put their minds uh, at, over and above what Yahweh says, uh, and uh, Yahweh has always revered his name. That's just a manifestation or example, but it's a principle of where you stand, what you're willing to give up. You're willing to give up what you hold dear. And that is to say what you believed in your heart about God. If someone shows you something that disagrees with what you believe, you are willing to give that belief up, you understand, and embrace the truth. And Yahshua is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what you're embracing. You're embracing the truth of Yahweh or his son, which he gave, which he loved this truth. He loved this understanding. He gave that uh, uh, so that the world uh, might be saved. Now, uh, I've only got a couple of minutes on. We got to finish this Acts, the 28. Uh, 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 start from where you were. <laughs> verse, verse 21, Carl. Thank you. And they said unto him, we neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. So now this population of Jews that he's talking about doesn't know what happened in Israel when Paul was there and, and raised havoc. Paul, Paul, oh, there's not time. Paul was chased from place to place. Every place he'd go, the Jews would would send somebody in to 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 cause trouble so that Paul would get kicked out of the city and then he'd go to another place and then the Jews would conspire and send a you know people to to you know infiltrators to cause trouble you can read about that in uh, the first part of Acts the 17th chapter Paul went to a city and they conspired and sent someone else there and so Paul was always having trouble but these Jews didn't know this history of this, what Paul had been through and what Paul had seen in the conversion of Paul and what Paul is teaching. They were virgins with respect to this understanding and this gospel. And each and every one of us was one of these virgins to this knowledge and understanding when we first came into this class. So he said, uh, uh, brethren that came, no one spoke any harm of you. They didn't talk bad about you, Paul. What's up? Read on. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that every, everywhere it is spoken against. So this this is where the word sect comes in. And it was used just the way that we talk about sects, cults, and creeds of Christianity. This, in their mind, in these Jews' mind, what Paul was teaching was a sect of, Christ, uh, of Judaism. Because he was going into the law and the prophets and, and preaching uh, an explanation of the law and the prophets that was in disagreement with what they had always heard about as far as the law and the prophets and Judaism was concerned, their religion, if you will. And they said, we didn't hear nothing about this. And, uh, and, and But we know this. Everywhere, people are yelling about it, speaking against it, but they still wanted to know. They had a desire to know, even though it was badly spoken of. Uh, read on here. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of Yahweh, persuading them concerning Yahshua, 
both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And read the next verse, and then I'm going to get Romans 119 and 20 real quick. 24, and some believe that the things which were spoken, and some believe not. So some believed the law and prophets, and some didn't. Some believed the theories and concepts of the priests, and some believed the law and the prophets. Now we'll end with Romans 119 and 20. Romans 1 and 19, because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. That's the distinction. They're distinct. They're definite. They're clearly seen. Read. Being understood by the things that are made. And those are the witnesses. Being understood by the things that are made. Uh, Read on. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even his eternal power and the Godhead or su- supernal nature can clearly be seen. And it, and you're without an excuse. And Roman Catholicism tells you that the Godhead, this Trinity, is a supernatural mystery that you cannot understand. And apparently until you die, I don't know how far back, far go far into that goes but you can't understand it as long as you're alive it is a total contradiction to what paul uh, who had a divine vision and revelation uh uh straight from yashua uh there uh beginning in his travels on the road to damascus and so we just ask uh these two in these two hours to look at these witnesses and uh do you embrace the witnesses or do you embrace your own theories, concepts, and opinions? And whatever the answer to that will depend on whether we ever see you again. And so this is what I had been thinking about. This is what I was thinking as far as the love that we have for the knowledge of our creator. Sometimes we get it wrong and we're, uh, we're, we get in turmoil, but we stick it out. Uh, until Yahweh has satisfied us with enough witnesses that we understand this purpose. And so thank you for the time. Thank you very much, Dr. Emler. And that'll conclude our class. I'd like to uh, thank again um, all that have participated in the Zoom and also those that are viewing us on YouTube. We are here every Wednesday from 7 to 9. We also hold in-person classes at the Bramley Library in Jordan, New York, from 7 to 9 p.m. We will end with the doxology taken from the last two verses of the Book of Jude and the Holy Name Bible. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let the class say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.